God is good, amen? Before I go into the Word, I'd like to share a testimony. Um, as Alex already mentioned it, last week we went out, a bunch of people went out and uh, did Love Week, and we just shared gifts and goodness to the neighborhoods around here. Many of you gave, participated, came Thursday, Friday, packaged all that stuff, cooked cookies, or baked cookies, sorry. Um, and we got a letter from a lady, and there's many testimonies, but I just want to read this one. Um, she sent this to a church. It says, Greetings. I would like to share a testimony involving three Christ-shining beautiful teens from your church family who prayed for me. On March 19th, I returned home after being discharged from the hospital after a successful major surgery that day before on 318. I live in an apartment complex down the street from the church. Two or three hours after I arrived home, to my surprise, my doorbell rang. I opened my door and saw three beautiful teens I did not recognize standing at the main door to my apartment building with stuff in their hands. I was a bit puzzled but decided to answer the main door with the intention of directing them to the right apartment because I thought they rang the wrong apartment door. Upon opening the door, the young man verified my apartment number and I said yes. They then respectfully introduced themselves, which I can't recall their name, I think because of the meds, and mentioned Church of Truth, which I recognized as I drive by many times. They then asked if I, they can pray for me, and I said yes. I just got home from the hospital, and I had surgery the day before. The young man asked me if he could lay his hands on me, and I said yes. The prayer was beautiful and healing. You see, I know those kids were sent from our loving Father. And after they prayed for me, I asked them if I can pray for them. I raised my hand over them and prayed. The presence of the Lord is beautiful. Then they handed me some very nice treats, cookies, a cup of tea and honey with cards. I thanked them and returned to my apartment and rested. The next day I opened the cards and read them. Those words, messages, were part of my healing from the Lord. A little background. The month and days leading up to my surgery, I struggled to come to terms with the final decision to proceed with the surgery. It was devastating for me because it meant that I cannot birth children anymore. I was going through depression, attacked from the enemy, and constantly crying out to the Lord. I felt hopeless about the hope of growing my family and how I cannot offer one of many things a wife is valued for in a family to birth children. I questioned my worth. I have one daughter who flew in from Guam to be with me and care for me for the surgery. The Lord is so gracious. I reached out for godly mentors, requested prayer and counseling from the church I attend. And the Lord has sent a pastor and a chaplain, both of, the exact experience, uh, both of exact experience of my trial. Truly, God is faithful and compassionate. I relocated to Washington a year now, where I came from. I used to do hospital ministry, laying hands and praying over the sick, witnessing many of God's healing miracles. I also was a part of women's intercessory prayer group. My joy is to be a servant to the Lord. The next day, as I sat on the edge of my bed, reflecting on everything that happened, the Holy Spirit reminded me of those children that prayed and blessed me, crying with such a move of God's love. I prayed and said, Lord, I know you sent them and thank the Lord for them. I was humbled and reminded of his unfailing love. The card just pierced my heart with a reminder of how much the Lord valued me. Uh, I am still in awe of the timing and how the Lord sent those children. I am humbled and blessed. I thank the Lord for those kids. Their obedience and stewardship of his love and compassion has reminded me of his faithfulness and his unconditional love. I thank you for shepherding those kids to be disciples of the Lord. And this is one testimony, but we, we took out a few hundred 
uh, gifts to a few hundred different homes around the neighborhood. Some believers, as we can see, some completely unbelieving, uh, others totally surprised by why we were out there. But it's all part of God touching people through this church, through you guys. And it's no credit for us whatsoever. We read this to encourage one another, to encourage one another to live more for the person next to us, to forget about ourselves and to be more sacrificial, to be a, a body of Christ that shines the light because it touches people all around us and Jesus Christ gets the glory. Amen? Amen. Church, let's continue to love the people around us. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we call today Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before the celebration of Passover and it became called Palm Sunday after what Jesus did on that specific Sunday. Jerusalem at this point, when Jesus was about to enter it, has been filled with people. Passover is one of the three celebrations that the Jewish people held highly esteemed and, and ordained by God to come and celebrate in Jerusalem, the holy city. And so this point in time in history, when Jesus was about to enter, Jerusalem is flooded with people. It's not just your typical residents, but it's people from all over the diaspora, people that have been pushed out by the Babylonian captivity, by the Assyrian captivity, and they all come together. Sometimes some people once, others twice, others come for all three celebrations, but Passover is the main one. And they gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate a long, almost week-long festival. And Jesus is about to partake in this celebration of Passover, except this, to the, to the lack of knowledge of many there, this is the real Passover that's about to happen for the rest of the world, the rest of mankind. And I want us to read out of Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. After telling this story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples, as he came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying the colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. So they went and found the colt just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over him, over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowds spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down the Mountain of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He replied, If they keep quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. But as he came closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. How I wish today that you, of all people, would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late, and peace is hidden from your eyes. Before long, your enemies will build, will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place because you did not recognize it when God visited you. 
And we'll stop there. The Sunday before Passover became called Palm Sunday because people laid palm branches and clothes before the donkey that Jesus rode. You see, Jesus says that I do nothing unless the Father tells me. And if you study the life of Jesus, you'll be surprised how many prophecies Jesus fulfills by doing simple things. This right here was multiple prophecies fulfilled, but specifically in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, Zechariah prophesies and says, Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. If you study history, kings would arrive on a donkey if they meant to come in peace. Kings would arrive on a horse if they meant war. And Jesus, the victorious king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, fulfills this prophecy in perfection by riding in on a donkey, recognizing that he is the prince of peace. Yet as he approaches Jerusalem and he sees the city, he starts to weep. He starts to weep and he says, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way of peace. Jesus calls himself in another place. I am the way, the truth, and the life. We know that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And Jesus in saying this says, how I wish Jerusalem you recognized who was entering the city today. How I wish today that it wasn't just for these few hours that you laid palm branches and took off your clothing and laid it in front of the donkey. How I wish you recognized who I am. How I wish you recognized who's visiting you today. Because of you not recognizing, history will play out in such a way where not a single stone will be left in this city. Where your enemies will encircle it, will build ramparts against it, will level this place down. Because you today don't recognize who I am. That I'm not just a king on a donkey. That I'm not just somebody aspiring to something. But I am the son of the living God. I am the one who came to rescue you. The one who is the way and who is the prince of peace. Yet the Israelites, the ones chosen by God, the ones set apart by God, saw him. Some saw him as a king. We see that. They're even singing about it. Some saw him as maybe their savior in the sense of physical, that he's going to come and rescue them from Rome. But very few saw him as Lord. Very few saw him as the Son of God. And they, they opened their gates. They, they shouted the praises that they shouted based on what they saw Jesus to be in their life. And we see this triumphant entry. We see the Palm Sunday, you know, unfolding. But it finishes up in these almost bitter words from Jesus where, he says, where he's weeping for Jerusalem. He follows that by making a, a whip and cleaning out the temple. And many are healed, but that's the very moment that sets the leaders of the city, the council of the city, to kill Jesus, to murder him. And they say, we need to kill him. We need to get rid of this man because the crowds are following him. What's interesting is, in that same chapter, in verse 1, there's another entry that Jesus accomplishes. I'd like to read that. In verse 1 of chapter 19, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there, uh, there, was a man there named Zacchaeus. 
He was the chief tax collector in the region. He had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. I'd like to focus on these two entries and bring our attention to some of the stark differences. In the triumphal entry to Jerusalem, Jesus is in the right place. He's in the right setting. Jerusalem is the holy city. Jerusalem is the place that, that the temple is built in. Jerusalem has always been the epicenter of God's activity, of God's blessing Jerus uh, the Israelites. Jerusalem has been the focus of their religion, their, their worship of God. And Jericho is a cursed city. Jericho is the city that the Israelites took over. And that was the first city that they took after they crossed the river Jordan. And we know that Joshua cursed Jericho and said, the man that rebuilds this city will put his children into the foundation. And yet somebody does that. They rebuild the city and sure enough, the curse comes to pass. Their children, are pay, they, their children pay the price with their life. So Jericho always symbolizes in the Bible as, as a cursed place. You know, even if we think about Jesus' parables, he'll use Jericho that way. And when he talks about uh, the, the Good Samaritan, he talks about a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, symbolizing a person that's on the, on the downslide in their life, going from good to bad. So Jericho is a place that, you know, Jesus could have avoided, could have said, this city is cursed. Jerusalem is a city of blessing. Jerusalem is the city where all the good has happened so far. And Jesus has been to Jerusalem on many, on multiple occasions at this point. Yet these entrances are so different. Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the holy city, and we see the crowd celebrate, but the rulers of the city are indignant. The rulers of the city, the ones that own the city, that run the city, they're the ones that are ready to kill Jesus. In Jericho, he comes to Zacchaeus, a, ta a tax collector who's a traitor to the, Jerusalem, to the Israelites. He works for the Romans. He collects taxes for the Romans. Not only is he a tax collector and a traitor, he's a cheater. He robs people. He takes more taxes than they're supposed to pay. He, he becomes rich and wealthy based on the tears of the people around him. And that's the very man that Jesus looks up and says, Zacchaeus, climb down. I must be a guest in your house today. But see, Zacchaeus' reception of Jesus determines the outcome of the visitation. Zacchaeus, as he sees Jesus call him, it says he climbs down and with joy and excitement, he takes Jesus to his house to be a guest. The crowds at this point differ from the crowds in Jerusalem. The crowds become indignant and say, how can Jesus walk into this house of a sinner? How can Jesus come in to the house of a traitor, to the house of a tax collector, to the house of a thief? But as you read the conclusion of that visitation, 
Jesus says, salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be the true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who were lost. I'd like to say that from reading these two contrasting entries, I'm emboldened enough to say that the presence of God is actually not enough. You need to recognize His presence. The presence of God on His own is actually not enough because Jesus was present in Jerusalem, but His presence wasn't recognized. As I read these two stories, I started to sense that God is telling us to recognize Him who's visiting. To recognize Him who's visiting. To recognize daily Him who's in our midst. Last week, Alex Maximov shared, and he talked about Jesus asking the question, whom do men say that I am? And the disciples start to answer. And then he asks a very pointed question to the disciples and says, whom do you say that I am? Whom do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up and says, you are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the one of whom the prophecies were foretold. And that answer in Peter's life determined the outcome of the rest of Peter's life. You see, here as Jesus entered Jerusalem, the same question was asked to the crowds. The same question was asked to, to the leaders, to the Pharisees. And they had different answers. The crowd said that this is the king. This is the one that's going to come and rescue us from the Roman rule, from the Roman uh, 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 hardships. The leaders looked and said, this is a, tra this is a traitor. This is a uh, uh, made-up made up identity. He doesn't speak from the authority of God. The same question was asked of Zacchaeus when Jesus said, I must be a guest in your house today. The question was asked, Zacchaeus, who do you think that I am? Who did you climb that sycamore tree, that fig tree to see? Did you climb to see a prophet? Did you climb to see a good teacher? Did you climb to see a rescuer? Or did you climb to see the Lord? And because Zacchaeus recognized who Jesus was, you see the stark change in his life. As Jesus enters the house, Zacchaeus starts to say, Lord, I'll give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, I will give half my wealth to the poor. I will give back to everyone I cheated four times. When you recognize who's visiting you, your life starts to be transformed. It's not enough to just be in the presence of God. It's not enough to just be in the church. It's not enough to be in a Christian family. It's important to recognize who's visiting you that day. It's important to recognize the identity of Jesus Christ and who that is for you. The world fights to define Jesus as maybe a prophet, maybe a good man, a historical figure at best. And out of that description and definition, they live the life that they live. The definition of who Jesus is and recognizing His presence is the most pivotal part of every single one of our lives. When Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night and he said, what must I do to be saved? Jesus said, you must be born from above. Nicodemus started to ponder, started to say, what does that even mean? How, how can I climb back into my mother's womb to be born again? And Jesus said, you're the teacher of the law and you don't know these things? But in the following conversation, Nicodemus comes to recognize that Jesus really is more than a prophet. Jesus really is more than Elijah. Jesus is more than John the Baptist. He's more than David. He's more than Abraham. He is the I am. 
He is the Lamb of God. He is the one that we worship. And today He's here in this room. Today He's here right now. He's at your home. He's there constantly next to you. But the reality is we don't always recognize who is in our midst. We don't always recognize who's holding our hand, who's standing to the right hand, who's guiding my life. But when we do, victory comes into our life. When we recognize who's visiting me, when I recognize who has come into my midst, victory comes into my life. I'm emboldened. I'm able to be transformed from the inside out. I'm able to be changed. And today on this Palm Sunday, let us not miss Jesus by seeing Him as a historical figure, by seeing Him as an incredible King. But let us recognize that He is Lord. Let us recognize that He is here in our midst for one reason, and it is to change our lives. I recognize that without Jesus, there is no way that we're going we're gonna to see victory. There's no way that we're going to live a life of victory. Constantly we're being attacked because the Bible tells us that there's an enemy out there and he's got one job to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He knows that his time is limited and he is tactical and he comes after every single person. You're all on his target list. But Jesus says, I'm victorious. I am with you. And though the attacks come, you don't have to be susceptible to them. You don't have to give in to that. We see that in Jerusalem, the crowds accepted him, but the leaders were angry. But in Jericho, a simple man opens his home and accepts him against the crowd's anger. The crowds are indignant. If you look at 2020, you can almost see how the crowds start to get angry. How they start to close churches down, close down worship. And yet somebody has to recognize that Jesus is Lord and say, come into my house. To the, to the anger, angry roar of the mob, we have to open up our lives and say, Jesus, you are Lord here. Jesus, you are Lord in my life. And I'm not susceptible to what the crowds say. I'm not susceptible to what the government says. I'm not susceptible to what my emotions say. Jesus, you are Lord of my life. Jesus, you are the Lord of transformation. Jerusalem had an outward expression of celebration. Jericho was an inward transformation. Jerusalem had an outward celebration where we saw palm branches and clothes being dropped on the floor. But inside we saw chaos and inside we see the leaders plotting the murder of Jesus. And that's why Jesus weeps. In Jericho, outwardly, you see crowds indignant saying, why is Jesus, this good teacher, coming in to eat with sinners? But we see what Jesus came for. He says, I've come for the sick and for the lost. I've come for those who are hurting. Last week, I met with a gentleman who uh, was openly agnostic. And I, I watched this man stand in fear. I was sharing with him. And um, a person from this church gave me his phone number and asked me to get in contact with him. And so... I got in contact with this gentleman and went out to meet with him to eat some lunch. And I watched fear eating away at this man. I watched the fear of COVID, the fear of death, the fear of all the things around him. And he, he couldn't get past it. And I stood there watching and I was even frustrated because there was so little conversation that could be had because of the fear. But as I processed, as I drove and processed what, what I just experienced, I recognized that when Jesus is now recognized in your midst, when Jesus is maybe, maybe a good person at most, maybe a prophet, fear has opened doors to your life. Fear has 
open doors to do whatever it wants to do when Jesus is not Lord, when Jesus is not the master, when Jesus is not the center of it all. Fear has a playing field in your life. But when Jesus is recognized as Lord, fear has to go. Fear can't stay because Jesus is in that midst, because Jesus is attending your life. Jesus has come into your home. Salvation comes. There's no fear. We don't see Zacchaeus fearing the crowd's opinion. We don't see Zacchaeus trying to please what the crowd's asking. He doesn't care at all. Zacchaeus starts to express his love for Jesus, recognizing who has entered his home that day. We need to recognize on this Palm Sunday who is visiting us today, who is in our homes, who has come to save us, who has come to redeem us. It's not a historical figure. It's not somebody that our parents taught us about, but do we know Jesus? You know, a few weeks ago when we had baptism here and we read those testimonies, how many testimonies went something like this? I grew up in a Christian home. I knew about God, but I didn't live for him. But when I met Jesus, when I met Jesus, you see, religion won't cut it. The church, it won't cut it. Fulfilling religious activities won't cut it. Even reading the Bible for the Bible's sake, it won't cut it. But when you meet Jesus, when Jesus becomes not a historical figure, but today the active Lord in your life, your life starts to get transformed. Everything in your life starts to get into order. It doesn't mean there's no difficulties, but it means the difficulties lose their grip on you. They lose their grip on you. When somebody is threatening you, threatening your family, threatening your business, threatening your job, you stop fighting back out of your own strength because you recognize who's in your midst. It reminds me of Elisha as he stood there and Gehazi looked out, out of, outside and he saw all the, all the Syrian soldiers and he said, man of God, what are we to do? What are we to do? The difference between Elisha and Gehazi in that moment is that Elisha recognized who was with him. He didn't pray for supernatural strength. He didn't pray for a, a miracle from within. No, all he said was, Lord, would you open up his eyes? Would you let him see who you are? Would you let him see? And Gehazi looks out and he sees the mountains filled with fiery chariots. I feel like somebody here is experiencing the outward attack. The Assyrian soldiers are around the camp. As you look out the gates, all you see is negativity, all you see is difficulty, all you see is failure, all you see is COVID, all you see is the news, all you see is the failing government. But Jesus Christ is asking you to open up your heart and see who's in the midst of you, who's right standing right next to you, that you don't need to fight this fight on your own. You don't need to push on to hold your family together through your own good activity, but you need to spend time with Him. You need to recognize his lordship. You need to surrender to him. You need to allow him to tell you where to go and when to go. Jesus Christ is in our midst. The Lord of Lords is in our midst. We have nothing to fear, church. We have nothing to fear because Jesus Christ is, was, and is to come. Jesus Christ is and is to come. He hasn't failed. He has not grown old. He has not become old on the pages of the Bible. But he is here today in person, in reality. He's going home with you today in person, in reality. He's in the midst of the sickness. He's in the midst of the falling family. He's in the midst of the children that are having difficulties. Jesus Christ is Lord. Let us recognize on this Palm Sunday who entered this place, who entered our hearts, who entered our lives. Jesus Christ cannot be secondary. 
He cannot be my religion. He needs to be my Lord. He needs to have my breath. He needs to have my mind. He needs to have my heart. And when he has it, the enemy doesn't. The Bible tells us to not give room to the enemy. The enemy has no room when Jesus occupies your life. The enemy has no room. All he can do is attack you from within. Just like the Assyrian soldiers that approached the, the city to get Elisha. It was only from within. Jesus Christ is Lord today. Can I ask us to rise? I want us to pray in this presence and recognize who is in this place. I don't know what you're going through, but I sense in my spirit that there are many people here right now hearing the knock of Jesus to remind them, even if you've been a believer, just to remind you in your circumstances who is in the midst. Just to remind you in the attacks that you're feeling who is in the midst. To remind you that you don't have to do it on your own because Jesus is right there. To remind you that you don't have to fear for the safety of your children, how they're going to grow up in this dying world because Jesus is in the midst. Jesus is in the midst and he's not just a prophet. He's not just a king coming on a donkey for peace. He is Lord. He is the creator of the universe. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's the one that holds the universe in the palm of His hand and knows you by name, knows your thoughts, knows your emotions, knows your mistakes, knows your failures, and loves you through all of that. That's the Jesus that's standing right here. He's not far. It doesn't, it doesn't require a journey to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover because He says the time is coming because my Father is spirit and truth. And those who worship Him, they will worship all over the place in spirit and in truth. The Bible tells us that where two or three gather in His name, He's right there in the midst of them. When we stand in our homes, just with our kids, with our wives, with our husbands, we stand there worshiping God. He's right there in the midst. As we do life groups together, and we stand there and we pray and we sing praises, He's right there in the midst. When you're all the way, all on your own at your job, He's right there in the midst. He's with you. He cares for you. And He wants us to recognize His visitation. He wants us to open up our hearts and say, Lord, in this time of chaos, in this time of trouble, in this time of unknowns, I exalt you and I worship you. Lord, I lift you up above my emotions. I lift you up above my weaknesses. I lift you up above my chaos, above what I, what I don't want to do. Lord, I lift you up. I elevate you as Lord. And those who are called by His name shall go out and do great exploits. This week, as we celebrate Passover, the, the victorious Passover that Jesus accomplished on that cross, can we recognize who is in our midst? Can we recognize who is right here? As you go through difficulties, whatever they are, maybe it's health, maybe it's finances, maybe it's your situation at home, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your, your relationship with your kids, maybe it's your relationship with relatives. Would you allow Jesus to be in the midst? Would you allow and recognize who's visiting you in the midst? You see, Jesus didn't tell Zacchaeus, go home, clean up, change your act, 
repent and then I will be a guest at your house. No, Jesus looked at Zacchaeus and said, today, today in the midst of your chaos, I need to be a guest at your house. In the midst of your difficulties, I need to be a guest of your house. In the midst of your fear, I need to be a guest of your house. In the book of Revelations, he says that he stands at the door and he knocks. He knocks patiently, waiting for us to open up the door. And when we open, he comes in and he dines with us. He brings peace. The entrance of Jesus in Zacchaeus' house brought in the transformation that Zacchaeus wasn't able to acquire. As we close our eyes right now, I'll invite anybody who's going through difficulties and just needs prayer. I don't know what it is, but you just need somebody to stand by your side and to agree with you. You can come out. We will pray together as a church. We will pray together. But as we pray right now in worship, can we recognize who's in our midst? Can we recognize the Lord that is here today? Can we recognize that it's not where I am and it's not in the right place at the right time, but it's at any time. He is present. He is faithful. Jesus, we thank you that you're here. Come on, right now, in your own words, you don't need to pray loud if you want to, but in your own words, recognize who's visiting you. Recognize who's standing in your midst. Climb off the sycamore tree. Let excitement and joy fill your heart because the problems around you, they can't suffocate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. They can't choke out the one who is victorious who is the Prince of Peace, who is the Lord of Lords, of whom the entire Old Testament prophesies and the entire New Testament testifies. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that you are who you say you are, that you are faithful, that you are Lord. And today on this Palm Sunday, we recognize your visitation. We recognize who you are, God. And we ask you, transform us from the inside out. Let, it, let this not just be an external celebration, but let there be transformation in our hearts. Transformation in, rooted in faith, Lord God, of who you are. Jesus, I pray for every single person that's going through something right now, going through a difficulty, God. I ask you that you would touch them right where they are, God. You would touch them right where they are, Lord God. That they would sense your presence. If you're in need of prayer, you can come out. We will join together. We're going to spend some time in prayer and worship. But we will pray together. We'll pray for you. We'll pray with you. God, we thank you. We thank you that you're touching people's hearts right now. You are reaching out and touching those who are in a difficult situation. Lord, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you are here today. You are faithful to your word. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You surround us with your power. And when we re realize who is with us, even as Elisha, we can open up our eyes and we can look around and see the mountains filled with fiery chariots. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. But that we belong to you, God. Our kids belong to you. The blood of Jesus covers our homes. The blood of Jesus doesn't just mark the doorposts of our home, but it marks our hearts. It marks our minds. It marks our lives. God, I thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would touch every single person here. You would touch those who maybe have gotten used to the outward celebration, but haven't experienced you inside for so long. God, that they would recognize the visitation that they're receiving by you, that you have entered their home, that you have entered their situation, you have entered their problem, 
you have entered that difficult situation that they're going through we worship you God we worship you Jesus hallelujah we worship you Jesus